0: Uh, my name is Seth Mnookin, I am the director of the Communications Forum, um, uh, and today's event is co-sponsored by the Communications Forum and the De Flores Fund for Humor. Uh, and for all of you in MIT, if there's anything that you want to do that is funny, we have money to give you, uh, so you should apply for the Flores grant. Uh, the way Communications Forums works is there's about an hour of a moderate discussion, and then um, half an hour to 45 minutes of Q&A. For the Q&A, please go to one of the microphones. Um, We would appreciate it if you would identify yourself, uh, just because we try and put out a a transcription of it, and then we don't need to refer to you as random person. Um, uh, But the most important thing is that you go over to the microphone because it's also recorded. And if you don't go to the microphone, we will not hear you on the recordings. Um, I am going to pass around a clipboard, which is self-explanatory, it says how did you find out about this communications forum event? Um, If you could let us know, we are trying to figure out how best to reach people. Uh, And one way we reach people is through our mailing list. There is a sign-up sheet right there um, at the edge of this desk. Uh, So if you have not already signed up, please sign up. Uh, We will not spam you. We will only send you information about events we do. uh, And that's a total of six a year. So it should not be too taxing on your inbox. Um, I'm going to introduce our moderator. And then our moderator is going to take it from there. Uh, This is Karen Setia.
1: That's right, yes.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm very, with the last name like and I'm very anxious about getting last name. Um, he's a philosophy professor at MIT who specializes in ethics, epistemology, and the philosophy of mind. Uh, he's the author of five books, including Reasons Without Rationalization um, and the well-known comedy tome, Knowing Right From Wrong. <laughs> His newest book is titled Midlife, A Philosophical Guide, and will be published by Princeton University Press later this year and I'll let Karen introduce
1: Aparna and take over. Thank you. Um, so uh, I'm really, really excited to welcome Aparna Nancella to MIT. Um, I will give you a brief bio, but we're going to ask uh, many more questions in the course of the, uh, the forum. So uh, she's a former writer for Late Night with Seth Meyers and Totally Biased with W. Kamal Bell. Um, She's appeared on Late Night Network TV. I believe you were the first Indian-American to appear on Late Night? Female. Female, okay. On Conan in 2013. Yeah. Um, She was one of Variety's 10 comics to watch in 2016. And uh, your first album came out last year, Mm -hmm. just putting it out there. Um, It's a terrific comedy album. You can uh, Google it and find it easily. Um, but I wanted to start by asking you about mm-hmm. uh, the thing that may be your greatest skill, yeah. uh, which, which, is, which is Twitter. Ah. Um, so I, I joined Twitter about six months ago, and I had this plan that I would, I would post something funny like once a week, like, yeah. not, not like several times a day, like you, <laughs> once a week. And in the six months, I believe I've come up with one quasi-joke. <laughs> so uh, you have, you know, Many. Uh, you have more followers than I. You have like 170,000 followers. Uh, Rolling Stone, I think, said you were one of the 25 funniest people on Twitter. And I, I, I was trying to figure out which tweets to select to give people a sense. <laughs> GQ uh, had an article on the 100 best tweets ever. Uh, one of which was yours. Um, uh, I once stated an apostrophe, too possessive. Um, so. How much time do you spend doing this? This would take me, this would be a full-time job for me.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's kind of a honed skill. Like, I wouldn't say I immediately just figured it out. But I think I first joined in 2008, which, as we were saying, was maybe an early adopter. But I think I just got on it because a friend was like, oh, there's this new site. You can post short things. I think you'd like it. So, I just joined it as a way to like procrastinate at my day job. I was yeah. like an I worked in an office and so I would just like post little things throughout the day and I don't think they were really jokes at first; they were just like thoughts as like you know comments on my sandwich that day or something but uh but then like uh, the longer I started doing comedy, I noticed like people were using it as like sort of a more of a joke incubator and posting like funny little short uh Things like witticisms and stuff. So then I tried to do it more that way, and then I think I just realized I liked sort of trying to make a thought as concise as possible and and try to draw out like what was the funniest about it. So I think then it just became more of a playground for me.
1: I mean, do, do, do you so how much of the, the the your ideas? How many of your ideas are you trying out on Twitter for? later use in stand-up? Like, is, are there two different styles? What, because, you know, the, the 140 character limit is very different from doing, you know, with having seven minutes to
2: right, right, right. narrate I mean, something. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is its own medium. It's like, r- rid the written, comedy written is very different from comedy performed. So I think there's some stuff that won't ne- necessarily translate, like, some internet humor. It's like, even like, you know, the use of where you place a capital or a comma can make the joke. So like that obviously wouldn't work on stage. But I think uh, some just if if there's an idea I like that I'm like, oh, this is a short joke, but maybe I could combine like a couple different jokes I have on this idea and make it into a bigger bit, then I'll do that. But I, I think then I have to like be disciplined about going back through my tweets and sort of picking out the ones that are good. And that's like you know, not always fun. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> uh, and do you, do you draft, like, are you, are you like, typing and deleting and, like, how, how much
2: correcting I is going on before you? I used tweet? to draft more. Like, I used to sometimes stockpile them and be like, you know, if I have a rough day, these will be ready <laughs> or whatever. But, um, but then it, that sort of backfired on me because I had, no. like, I had, like, a hundred sitting in there, and some of them were, like, you know, just like two words like that to remind me of something like you know like red jacket or something and then there was like a post all button at one point i think they got rid of it but <laughs> it Whoa. it accidentally okay. like um i don't know how it happened but it like my phone was in my bag and somehow that button got pushed and then i just like started getting messages from people like are you okay like, <laughs> <laughs> i was like I can no, i'm yeah. having a meltdown <laughs>
1: And and so, it's, how do, how similar is that writing process to the writing process for stand-up? Like, do you sit and, and write out ideas for stand-up bits, or do you? is it just an idea and then you try it out on stage?
2: Sort of a combination. Like, I definitely come to stand-up from a more writerly angle, so I will need sort of an idea of what a bit is going to be before I go on stage, either just like the simple arc of the joke of, like, what is funny about this, or what was unusual about this thing that happened to me. Uh, and then I'll go try it on stage, but then it's like, once you've tried it, it's sort of a continual workshopping of seeing how the audience responded, seeing if there's like parts that could be made clearer or funnier or you're, you're, you need a funnier example. So then it becomes sort of a, almost like a dialogue between how, how, you, how the live performance was received and then how it evolves when you're and do, writing. I
1: mean, do you take notes after like, after performing on how things went or do you record yourself or I'm, how do you how oh, does that work?
2: I, I record my sets and I think a lot of comedians do that, but the hard part is like going and actually listening to them. Like I have so many of them and it, you you get over like the uncomfortability of listening to yourself because I don't really like hearing myself talk, but uh but you do sort of get an idea of like, oh, that worked there, but it it still could be made a little clearer or something, but a lot of it's just more natural. Like, it, you, you find that stuff, the more you perform a joke, like, you'll find a place where you're like, oh, that seems like I don't need to describe what that is for so long, or, like, I could skip this line, like, I don't need it. So I think a lot of that editing is just more in the moment you discover it, yeah.
1: And, and do you have a sense of your hit rate? Like, how much stuff when, when, you're, when you're doing this gets cut in the course of performance? Like, how different when you're, when you're doing stand-up is what you, we would see from month to month based on just having tried stuff out and decided and through the editing process?
2: I think it takes longer than people think it does. Like, a a lot of times, like, if you're working on even, like, 10 new minutes or something, like, you could, it could be, like, you know, six months later and you still, like, can't figure out one bit or something. And then it's, like, maybe in, like, a year or something, you'll be, like, really happy with it. But it it also differs on depending on the joke. uh, some people can just keep honing away at like a two minute bit for like years and then other people will be like, no, I'm sick of this, I'm gonna move on to something else. Yeah, so yeah. it kind of also depends on the performer.
1: I mean, has your writing process changed since, I mean, how, how, when did you start doing stand-up?
2: Mm, I started now, I started in 2006 uh, doing it regularly, so I would say it was uh, 11 years, a little past 11 years. So. I think you do. You get a little bit more um, discerning about what you write. Like I feel like when I started, I was very precious about everything, and like if a joke didn't if a joke didn't work, I would take it very personally. But now it's kind of like "Mm, it's just like it's like I'll figure it out, or this one might just need a timeout for a while and then come back to it. Like it's weird. Some stuff you'll bring back after a few years, and you and you'll finally like have figured out why it wasn't working.
1: So, so two thousand six, when you started, were you were you in college then, or you already had left college and you were you were working in the office job where you were yeah, yeah. procrastinating with Twitter? Uh huh. The...
2: I was just out of college, so I was um, just learning the ways of the world of work and not doing your work.
1: I see. Yeah. And, but had you, done, you had, so you had not done? I mean, had you in college done sort of stand up or performance? Or... I
2: tried it for the first time in college. I think I was home. Uh, during the summer, and a couple of friends and I would go to this open mic near where we lived, just as like a free kind of entertainment. Uh, and then two of us were interested in comedy, and we we kind of saw that not everyone who, who went up was like at a professional level. So we were like, we should both try it. Uh, so we both like made a pact to try it before the summer was up. Up, and I waited until like the last week before I went back to school. And I think it was like my birthday the first time I went up, and I definitely like made sure to mention that so people <laughs> would be nicer. But, uh, but yeah, uh, and then it went better than I expected. And but then I was still too scared to do it for a couple years. And then once I got out of school, I was like, if you really want to do this, you should make an honest effort. So.
1: So um, what was the what was the first time after that that you did it? Like when when you went into a club? And were you in D.C. at this point? Mm-hmm. That, yeah, and. and did you you went to an open mic?
2: Yeah, a, I went yeah. to an open mic at a coffee shop, so a little more casual. And you just sign up, and then you know you have your few minutes. You go up and do whatever you want with them.
1: And how did it go? The first? Do you do you remember the first times you were doing this in in D. C. And yeah, there? yeah.
2: I mean, it's obviously it's very scary, but it's also very nice when you when you get those laughs and that response. I think it's like hard to compare that to any other feeling. Like, it's a, it's a good good feeling, and you feel like you're connecting with people. But it is, I think, especially when you're starting, you have a little bit less idea of, like, your own stage presence and how what you wanna do on stage. So I think it's also very uh, unpredictable.
1: I mean, did you have, at that point, a kind of idea of what your persona was gonna be, or was it just at that point that you wanted to be funny, or, like, was there a kind of evolution in, in the sort of, character of the comedy you were doing?
2: Well, it's interesting because I feel like uh, even early on, uh, people would say, oh, you have a really unique point of view. Like, how did you uh, create that? And for me, it's like, oh, it's just like how my brain works. Like, I don't think of it as a point of view. I'm just like, oh, this is just how I see things. So I think that in essence helped me because I didn't really... Wasn't really trying to be something. I was just like being like, this is stuff I find funny, so I'm just gonna do it that way. Whereas I feel like oftentimes a lot of when people start, they might like be trying to emulate someone who really inspired them or like made them wanna do comedy. So they might have like a little bit of those stylistic choices when they're first starting. Uh, but I feel like I didn't have a big foundation of like what comedy was when I started. So like, I think w- someone early on told me, like, oh, you do stand-up like someone who's never seen stand-up before. <laughs> which and that the, was a compliment? What, that was, but yeah. they meant it yeah, as a okay. compliment, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
3: Okay,
2: uh, good. Was, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so how did you get the idea of doing it? So where did the ambition come from if, if you weren't sort of a comedy nerd at that point in college? Yeah, or?
2: I mean, this was, like, before YouTube and, and stuff, so I don't think that that idea that it's, like, anyone can put their stuff on the online and be you know famous or something like that idea wasn't as much in the ethos yet. So I think it was for me just like, oh, let me just try another thing and then uh, you know, if, if I don't hate this thing, I'll just keep doing it because I feel like college for me was like a little bit of a struggle in like figuring out what I wanted to do. And even when I graduated, I still wasn't sure like that I had found a calling or anything. So comedy, at least then, for me, was at least a coping mechanism to be like, oh, well, at least this is something you enjoy that you can do.
1: And so, so it didn't come out of doing of sort of acting or it's like Mm-mm. other kinds of stage, or improv, or no. No, it was really I really mean, stand up y- was the thing.
2: Yeah, I remember my college had an improv group, but I was like too scared to try out for it. Uh, but I think maybe I did try out for it once, or I went to like, they were like, if you're thinking about trying out, we have this workshop just to see if you might be interested. And even that I was like terrified to go. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think I just was like, I don't know if I can. And then it is a weird um, paradox sometimes because I am like uncomfortable. In group situations, <laughs> and then um, people are like, "Why do you do comedy?" And I'm like, I don't yeah. So <laughs> also,
1: I mean, so a, a thing that we will get to and probably talk about at greater length is the mm-hmm. way in which you do comedy. You talk about depression and anxiety in stand-up. Was that something you were doing from the very beginning, or was that something that that you sort mm-hmm. of worked up to? Or?
2: Yeah, I definitely worked up to it. it. wasn't there right away, and it's funny because I actually started doing comedy sort of as a way. Um, like I had recently been like diagnosed with depression and I was just sort of like on medication for the first time and so I think that was what made me try it at all because it because I guess when at least in my case like when I went on medication it was like kind of like someone who didn't you know had a eye prescription but didn't know and then put on glasses and could just see everything more clearly like the world just seemed so much like more colorful, like it went up a notch. So I was just like trying all these things and like, I was like, everything's great. And so I think that's what actually gave me the boost to like do comedy at that time. And so
1: it was, this was in college also that you first, we were diagnosed with you you and, so, what was that process like? Was was, was college was that you said that college was was hard in some ways, figuring out what to do? And was that partly that you were coming to terms with depression then?
2: I but think so, yeah. But I think I didn't have a name for it, and I actually like took time off of school, and then was diagnosed with it, and then went back to school, sort of having this new knowledge, and then was able to uh, sort of in, get more out of the experience. But it's like I didn't. Quite have the words for it before.
1: And was it was that was that when you resistant to that or finding it was it scary or was it immediately sort of light bulb? Okay, I'm now.
2: It was actually kind of nice because it's I guess the weight is lifted of. Before I just thought I was like, oh, everyone sees the world like this, and everyone else is just better at dealing with it than <laughs> I am. Uh, but then afterwards, I was like, oh no, everyone else has been having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and that made you feel <laughs> <Like> better,
2: <laughs> that was better, yeah. It's better uh, in a uh, certain way. Um, yeah. But yeah, but then it's like you know, meds level out, and then you're like, oh yeah, being an adult has its ups and downs. But it was that that initial. Boost of like oh not everyone not everything has to be like a slog all the time.
1: So and, but, and you were you were a psychology major in college. Was that mm-hmm. out of interest in in the human mind or was it just that that was you you that happened to be the subject that interested you or?
2: Yeah, or was, I think it uh, kind of a combination of the two. Like it was one of the only subjects that I found like interesting uh, after I'd taken a few classes in it. Like a, a few of them, I was like, oh maybe I should be a lawyer. And then I went to like a couple you know, law courses, and I was just like, no, this is not what I thought it was at all. Uh, so the, uh, psychology was the one that was sort of consistent in that I was like always enjoyed going to those classes. So, and I think the human mind, you know, as a any kind of creative or writer, it's like endlessly fascinating in certain ways. So I think that felt applicable to really anything I would do later in life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I, I, I'm still putting off the question of, of sort of asking you about how, <laughs> depression has played into your comedy but i, I also want to i, I want to ask you more about the other direction like has has being open about depression in comedy changed your depression or changed your relationship to your your own emotional life has it been has it made it harder easier has it has it, it changed it
2: it's definitely made it interesting because i think when you put yourself out there in that kind of vulnerable way you sort of open the doors for people to approach you about like oh like i really related to this thing you said about You know mental health or like I struggle with anxiety in very similar ways and I like how you expressed it so I think it does make people feel like uh less guarded about talking about it with you which I don't mind like I find that very humbling that to be able to connect with people in that way but as in terms of does it help ease the pain I wouldn't Say no, like I couldn't go off my medication. And just be like, I'll write a couple more depression <laughs> jokes uh, and go, go back up there. But uh, but it is nice in that, like I first started writing about it as a way to sort of get out of a rut. Like I was having depression issues and I wasn't really able to create anything. And I was like, well, maybe just write about the depression, even if it doesn't fix it, it at least gives you like something to do. So that was sort of what initially made me start talking about it.
1: And, with, and so sort of two sides, one is the, the it being open about it, the other is that you know, stand-up is incredibly revealing and you're on stage and it's just you, and I imagine it's terrifying. Um, so I mean, how did depression, how did you get over the, the anxiety uh, of just being on stage? It sounds like you, you did it in sort of coffee shops and other places, but like, how, that must have been a, a, a sort of ongoing Challenge yeah,
2: listening. I mean it's still a push and pull. Like I still, I also have a lot of anxiety, so I think it is. Like I still get nervous before performances, and I think you know, in a way that like people have been doing it as long as me. Like a lot of people are like past that phase I'm in now, but I still get like very um, like my thoughts get scattered and I get like shaky and stuff before I perform. But I think you learn to cope with it just in in your own ways. Like I. I Um, been trying like meditation and like exercise helps and just finding ways around it it is sometimes it is like I have that conversation before I go on stage where it's like why do you do this again Uh, (laughs) and then afterwards you're like oh yeah I feel that's why I do it but um but yeah it is it's strange because it can feel counterintuitive that something you love to do like going up up until you're actually doing it can be like a Painful process, <laughs> yeah. So, do,
1: do you remember? Was there a particular point where? You, so it sounds like you you were you decided you were going to make right jokes about depression. And do you remember mm-hmm. the time when you first sort of outed yourself? On well, you first spoke about it explicitly on stage. Was that? Was
2: yeah, that... it wasn't that long ago. I guess maybe now like two years ago. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So not not too long ago, but. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because I think I tried it very tentatively, just being like, "Oh, I'm gonna try to talk about this." But a lot of the comedians I look up to have been very open. Like Maria Bamford's one of my huge influences, and like she's very open about like all of her um, struggles, and and pretty much everything is on the table. So another thing, like when I started talking about it, I was almost like. I don't think I have anything to add to the conversation. You know, like, I feel like people are already doing it really well. So I think that also made me hesitant to talk about it. Uh, but when I first tried it, I think I was surprised at the response. Yeah, because I, so, yeah. I,
1: and how did, you, was that the response in, in terms of how well the material went? Or was it the response afterwards in terms of people
2: just in terms Impressive. of how it went, because I was like, I don't know if people will relate to this if they don't necessarily experience it themselves. And sometimes they, sometimes the jokes won't work, but uh, the, more people respond than I expected would. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, do, do
1: you feel like you have to sort of so when you're structuring comedy, the, a set, do you, do you sort of think about how, how, to, how, much, uh, how much depression to inject at any given point? Because oh, so, oh, okay. I was thinking, on, on, on just putting it out there, you mentioned it early, I, I'm early on, but briefly, and then there's a bit later on where you really talk about it. Oh, so there's yes. a sort of sense that it's been paced, and is that something you, you sort of are thinking about in terms of audience? And, and, because some people must be relating deeply to the parts. Right, Where you talk about depression and feeling a kind of relief that this is being spoken about explicitly and others are, hmm, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, usually when I'm doing a longer set, you can feel out if the audience is responsive to it or not. So in that way, you're right, there'll be like, a, you know, a, a one-liner or something where it'll be like, oh, I'll see how that goes. And then if they responded well, then I'll do the longer bit about it. But otherwise, it's like, oh, we'll, we'll skirt that area this time.
1: And is that, so, when you're doing when you when you're doing a set, you you have sort of a, it's like a multiple choice kind of mm-hmm. thing. So you have yeah. a kind of bunch of different ways to go depending on how the audience goes. So is there yeah. is is that a what is that something you did from the beginning, or does that depend on is that something you kind of learned as you went?
2: went I think along? you learn it with experience because I think when you start, you're sort of like okay, this is what I'm going to do yeah. when I'm up there, and then you maybe aren't used to curveballs as much when you start. But then it's like the longer you do it, you kind of learn that it's like you know, some audiences are going to be on board with you right away, some of them are going to warm up to you eventually, and some of them are just not going to like you.
1: I mean, do you do a lot of crowd work? Because I, I I've i seen you a couple of times that are not... I don't, um, that... No,
2: I, I don't necessarily, like, I might use it to, to get into a topic or something of, like, how many people have done this or something, but I don't, I'm not a big, like, uh, let's, Figure you out. Uh Yeah.
1: I mean, there was, so I remember the last time I saw you came and did a a thing with Eugene Merman in Boston, which was not long ago, a month or two at the Paradise Rock Club. And um, you guys did, there was a thing that was really cool, which is you both came out at the start and did a Mm -hmm. kind of. I don't know what. What is that? What do. What, what do we just call like that together? Like banter, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Was that something you planned? Like, how did the idea for that come up? Come up? That, well, he actually
2: was... said before the show, he was like, "Oh, so I can just intro you after I uh, intro the show, or if you want, we, I can just bring you up and we can talk for a few minutes and then you can start your set and I'll leave." Uh, and no, I had never. No one had ever said like that's how they wanted to bring me up before. Like usually people. When you open for them, it shows they'll be like "You go out first and then uh you bring me up so it I was kind of appreciated that he wanted to do it in a more casual way. yeah, it was yeah. really cool it yeah. was cool i
1: mean the, actually the other thing in that set, which is sort of a possible segue here that I thought was interesting was that, that there was a bit where you were connecting anxiety and depression with uh with politics there mm-hmm. was, I think was the i'm going to use a bit of I, the, the joke is about about uh uh, this is what we've been training for: was oh, the the uh, yeah. <laughs> people with people with anxiety and depression. And uh, uh, is there, is there, has there been a kind of swerve towards more political?
2: Yeah, political I mean, material? I've been trying to be uh, like address w- what's happening in the world. And I haven't been a- overtly political in the past, but I guess right now, for me at least, it feels like disingenuous to not talk about what's going on. And not even necessarily that that will fix anything, but just like it feels weird to get on stage and just be like, "I saw this bird do this funny thing on the street," and then just like not at all address the fact that like the world is in a very strange place mm-hmm. right now. Uh, so I've been trying to to talk about it, but again, a lot of it is grounded in sort of my personal experience, like I trying to talk about like being more politically active for the first time, or like. How reading the news makes me feel so it still comes from a sort of personal place to me and is it's harder to for me it's harder to sort of like judge the actions of people without sort of grounding it in like but this is just how I feel
1: yeah yeah so but so you said you, you weren't thinking it would make a difference exactly so when you so do you have a kind of general picture of, the, of what's going on or what, what the, the function is of addressing difficult topics in comedy. So, you're, so depression is one, the current political situation might be another. Mm-hmm. They're both things that, that um, you, know, you might have the aspiration to really make a difference or, yeah. or, or like, wake people up. Or, uh, and that's, you know, there are some political comedians who's like, like W. Kamau Bell or Harry Kondabolu right, who right, seem really right. to be, p- partly have the mission of, of yes. getting people to think about politics in a in a way that they wouldn't if they didn't get it through the medium of comedy. Yeah. Um, did you have a picture of what, what e- either in the case of depression or politics, what effect you want your comedy to have? Or does, is that not how you're thinking of it?
2: Well, I think it's, again, similar to what I said before, where uh, it's like there are comedians who do that and they do it really well. So I'm like, I don't want to sort of step on their coattails. Like, I'm going to sort of do my version of what I think that is. but. Maybe not cover exactly the same ground so I think for me it's more like, oh this is my particular particular experience and I hope people relate to it and uh, you know part of that is like there aren't a ton of women in color in comedy and it's like hopefully like my experience speaks to someone else's that that might not feel represented uh, in a broad way in, in pop culture. yeah yeah
1: yeah but it's interesting what you say about about being political because in a way Right. You're, the, just putting it out there isn't overtly political in the mm-hmm. sense of addressing current political events, but there's, it's, there's stuff about race and gender is pretty, pretty central to some of the bits. Yeah. There. So there's sort yeah. of political issues in that sense that are being addressed. I mean, has that, so how, has it been, I mean, do you have, do you have a sort of take on, on, on how much it, it, the experience of um, being Indian American, trying to get into comedy is different or harder or more complicated than it, than it would be? For,
2: for, I mean, I think I was lucky because when I started, it was like, you know, Aziz Ansari was just getting very popular and Mindy Kaling was writing for The Office. So I think uh, the at least that hurdle of being like, a, well, there aren't a lot of people like you in comedy. Like, they had sort of already opened those gates uh, themselves. So I, at least people weren't, like, surprised that I was doing comedy at all. But I think uh, the stranger thing for people was that um, people, you know, who are like South Asian or whatever your background is, like if, if talking about that isn't the focus of your material, I think that's more what threw them for a curveball. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, and so do you, I mean, do you think this is something that's changed, that like it has changed even in the last few years? I think you made, I think so. the first Conan experience, uh, uh, appearance, Mm -hmm. did you open with a joke about,
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, and do you think that would now you wouldn't do that or or um or no it hasn't really changed that much in in five Yeah, years. I mean
2: having that joke to be like oh addressing the audience to be like yeah I know I don't look like a comedian uh is <laughs> it, like it often takes the tension out if the if the audience cuz there is that split second whenever you're a performer and you come out the audience immediately has some kind of take on you before you even open your mouth they're like oh this is a woman or this is like a large man or whatever they they like have an idea of what you are uh, to them and so that was a way to sort of um put that idea out in the air before diving into what I actually wanted to talk about but now I feel like I'm lucky in that I have at least enough of People in New York and LA who know who I am, where I don't have to start in that way. But you know, sometimes if I go on the road and it's like I might be a place I've never played before, it, it's uh, it's helpful. But um, but yeah, for the most part, I feel like I've shied away from that now.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you feel do you still do you feel pressure playing an audience that doesn't know you to be immediately? Does that change the kind of material you do so that you you think I've got to be funny in order to? get over the initial skepticism and so it, it means you can't it changes what kind of how much time you can take for a joke to develop or, or what kind yeah of I
2: mean I think you again it's like if you're doing a longer set you sort of test stuff out that might be like the hint of a topic and then if it feels like they respond to it you might have a longer bit or something that you might try around that but I think a lot of that is also just experience. Like when you start, you kind of panic if you don't get that like laugh right away. But I think uh, once you've done enough sets, you you realize like, oh, th- they might just take a little work, or like I'm gonna try to go this way. Like it, you, it's not that immediate. Like oh my god, this isn't going well. Feeling yeah.
1: And do, so do do you have? So I think actually. I'm going to ask you about this again, about this sort of persona thing, because I think what you said, you, you described your sort of stage persona as not a sort of consciously planned persona, mm-hmm. um, but nevertheless, you have a kind of, st- so what's the, your sense of the relationship between the personality you project when you're doing stand-up mm-hmm. and you, or, or do you feel like, are you in a position to... It, Comment
2: on that. Yeah, I said. mean, it's definitely it's not. Uh, it, it's definitely a version of myself. I think it's a little bit heightened for the stage and exaggerated, but I definitely don't feel like I'm like putting on a character or like a persona when I'm going on stage. I'm just like, oh, this is like the performer part of my personality, or, or it's just like one way I have a being, just like the way we're different around different groups of people in our lives. Like that's like my stage. Me and uh, yeah, but I don't. I don't think of it as like oh, now I have to switch into this. I
1: see. So it doesn't feel like acting. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like you're sort Not of really. You're getting into your- because um, I think even t- teaching. Even I feel like I, which is the closest I can get. I feel like teaching is teaching is good because the stand. If you if you, everyone's expectations are so terrible, you can make the worst joke and people are like. Desperately grateful. So, but so that's my my, the closest analogy I have to stand up is is teaching, and I feel like even teaching, I feel like I am definitely there's some it's not exactly acting, but I'm I'm sort of playing a teacher when I'm when I'm teaching. No, I think that
2: I think often when we public speak, people are like, oh, I'm gonna sort of be this version of myself that's like a little bit, you know, more put together, more in control, or like I have a more of a vision of what I want to be, and like when you're off stage, you might. Be looser and more relaxed, but but you know some people's stage personas are very loose and like freewheeling. So, but the weird thing is when you realize that's like carefully calculated. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, do you? Do you, I mean, to do so, that, I think maybe this doesn't come in the, in in terms of thinking about a persona, but do you have a kind of do you have a picture of where you want your comedy to go? Like what what, what in over the next five years you kind of want to explore. In comedy and sort of how to get there from here, is that something you is that something you think about, or is the horizon not? It's like I, that.
2: I've always been someone who's bad at making goals at all, uh-huh. let alone <laughs> long term goals. So I think it's like even when you said that, I like got anxious. Sorry, I figured no, you out, Sorry. No, no. no. <laughs> I was like, what? Where do I Why want don't I to go? Have a five year plan. I okay. I don't know, no. but uh, but yeah, I think like I was saying, where it's like you're developing a bit and the end product might not look anything like you expected it to sometimes it's hard to predict what exactly like if i'm working on a new hour of, of comedy like what exactly it's going to look like like I, I am sort of in that boat now of trying to be like well what what is important to me to talk about right now in my life and like what are the themes i'm interested in exploring so i think a lot of comedy um because the way it connects to people is the relatability factor, a lot of it is sort of about where that comedian is in their life in terms of their relationships or what they're interested in. So a lot of it, to me, just feels like a snapshot of that person's life at during that time. Yeah.
1: And so and when you're working, I mean, so do you watch other comedians when you're thinking about material, like is it sort of a, do you study comedy when, you, when you're when you thinking about how to write your own
2: material? Mm, I'll, I mean, I feel like I take in a lot of comedy just by virtue of being at shows like pretty much every night. So I feel like it filters in, <laughs> but like a lot of comedians actually can't watch that much comedy, at least not... Uh, like you'll watch a few minutes of some and you'll be like, Okay, I get the gist and leave, but I think it's because it, it is your work that it's like you can only take in so much before you just feel like it becomes noise. Like I I also think some people don't because they're afraid they might unconsciously like lift something they saw someone else do. Uh, but for me I think it's just oversaturation and like, I, I know a lot of comedians who will watch, like, people's specials and stuff and be very current on that. And I, like, I can't remember the last special I watched. And I feel like when I'm not doing comedy, all the, all the art I want to consume is, like, anything but comedy. Yeah. Like, horrible murder <laughs> Docu series and stuff, yeah.
1: But do, do you hang out with? I mean, so do you hang out with comedians? Are, are you? Because I know you do. You do. You worked with um, other comedians on, on with Jacqueline Novak on mm-hmm, the Blue mm-hmm. Woman group, and you have a thing with Joe Firestone. and yeah. So, yeah. so you do collaborative comedy as well as doing mm-hmm. um, solo stand-up. So do you try out material on other comedians? Is that? of the process of working or is is
2: yeah i think um like i have people i enjoy writing with just in terms of we're both working on our own sets but i know they understand my sensibility and i know i can like bounce ideas off of them without feeling like they're not following what i'm saying Uh, but in terms of and and i feel like most of my social circle is now comedy people or comedians just by virtue of the fact that our schedules are so Specific that I think the only people who are free, like when you're free, are other comedians. Uh, so yeah, I think I think there is that comfort zone of like, oh, this person immediately understands my base of experience and this weird thing that I do, so they're the easiest person to talk to about either a joke or something that happened at a show. Whereas like you know if you're talking to someone who might not uh, do live performance all the time, it's harder to explain like oh, there was like a weird audience member, and then they did this, and like a stand-up will like understand right away. They'll already know where you're going yeah. <laughs> with it. Yeah. So
1: is it, I mean, is it in general a supportive community? Do you have a sense of com- that of, of a stand-up community that, you know,
2: yeah. by and large
1: is, is, is that, is that something that, that you get sort of emotional sustenance from that? Yeah, I those.
2: think they're definitely, I mean, I know not every scene is like that, like there are more competitive environments, but I feel lucky in that like the groups I've um, found in New York and LA, they're very supportive and just like, I think people realize the entertainment industry is already so unforgiving as it is, that it's like you don't need your peers to be a further like uh like just monstrous in their judgment of you, so people are like, <laughs> I think a little bit more forgiving and like understanding of of uh, each other, like as peers.
1: And but, but so, I mean, you would think that sort of envy and competitiveness must be hard to.
2: I think to it's keep still it's the still there, are. and definitely you know you'll have there will be like villains of the scene or whatever. Right. It's like this guy won't book anyone or this comic who has terrible jokes about women. Like there are always people you're not going to care for, but. I think it, it, the longer you're in it, you just so m- see so many people come and go that you sort of gravitate towards the ones who like make you feel good and like who seem to understand, like you both understand each other. So I think it also sort of is a filter process that happens organically.
1: So has this, I mean, has this led you to, uh, do you have a view about the, a take on the cliche about depressed comedians? So that- oh. that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that that we're well, all, that we're all depressed? Well, yeah, uh, that, that, you know, uh, are, are you Pagliacci? That's the, the oh, question. Right. Yeah right. No, I mean, the, the sense that, that uh, uh, your, your anecdotal experience of, of uh, comedians sort of dealing with depression or sort of somehow that it, it's symbiotic with comedy, or is that, is there any
2: I, truth to that? I don't think I mean I don't think it's cause and effect uh, I think a lot of creative people maybe struggle with those issues because the mindset of a depressive is very similar to the mindset of a stand-up in that you're sort of hyper observant of everything and then you're sort of like questioning why it is like it's almost like you're automatically existential when you're a comedian because you can't take anything at face value. So and depression is like the same mindset but just on the other end of the spectrum. So I think it it's a natural pairing, but I, I wouldn't say you need one to have the other one. Yeah.
1: But I mean, is it does it feel to you like when you that that as well as doing comedy about about depression, mm-hmm. and that that's sort of part of your life and so it's part of the subject matter, that it, it is just sort of Part of the the source of your sort of comedic sensibility in general, like it,
2: it, yeah, it, I think in terms of like I I think most of my stuff has an existential undertone. So I think that very much comes from sort of constantly questioning like why we're all here and like what what does it all mean. And so I think that sort of filters through even bits about very trivial things.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, that makes sense. So so. Um, one of the questions I was going to ask was sort of about about other, do, is there a sort of, in, it sounds like you have friends or comedians, there's a kind of community, are there, mm-hmm. is it sort of mentoring or nurturing? Are there other comedians, is that something you found when you were breaking in, when, it, when you were just doing um, open mic nights or whatever in, in DC, that other comedians would, be, would sort of give you advice or help you or that you're now able to do that for...
2: Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think it's it's can be a little misguided. Like sometimes uh, when I started in DC, like so, like sometimes older comics will be like, "Oh, like you should do this differently," or like someone told me they were like, "You look down too much" or something. And it's like when you're new, you're kind of very impressionable, so you're like, "Okay, I'm gonna do take those notes and do them." But then the longer I did it, I was like, "Oh, there aren't really like hard and fast rules. Like you can." You can like you know, be a better performer, but th- there's also nothing wrong with like doing things sort of your own way or like uh, taking your own path. like that's feels like open uh like an open game now where people are uh, finding their, you know groups of people respond to them in very different ways than they used to. So I don't think there's as clear a like th- this is what you need to do to get to this. Uh, but I, I do feel like I was lucky in that when I started, I got to open for a lot of people I look up to, like Eugene Merman and like Maria Bamford and Paul of Tompkins. and they've all, all, all like all the experience I had opening for them was like very positive and they were all very encouraging, which I think was very um, like a huge thing for in me sort of being okay with like not maybe being like all the other comedians, yeah.
1: And was there a, so? What was the, the the narrative there? of The point at which you decided, I'm going to try and make a career of this, or like you So you were working and you had an office job at some point. And yeah. Then it, at some point, you quit it and went full time.
2: Yeah, it, I think. Well, I started in DC, and there's like a good scene there. There's like I think it's similar to Boston in that you can get up uh, pretty much any any night of the week, but maybe you're not as much under the eye of like the industry. So I think a lot of people that I started with, they were all sort of moving to New York and LA. So it felt like it was time to move. And I also felt like I had sort of hit the ceiling in DC in terms of like what I could do opportunity wise. And I was feeling like creatively stagnant. So I think it was like, well, if if nothing else, you have to move just to like get recharged and be like excited about comedy again. So I think I, I did move out there with the idea of being uh, making a real go of it, but also just for a change of scenery too. Yeah. And, to, and
1: you moved there and didn't? And comedy was your the, the sole thing? Is that right? So th- that that was the.
2: Yeah. Well, were... I was temping for a long time, okay. and I also you know you usually pick New York or L. A. And I was dating a comic at the time, and. He wanted to go to LA uh, like a hundred percent, and I was kind of split. And then I was like, "Oh, I'll just follow him," you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is not the most empowering story. But um.
1: <laughs> I see. So, so I, I gotta I gotta try and ask this question without playing into stereotypes. So my 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 I think both of your parents are doctors. My mm-hmm. father is a doctor. When when I told him I was going to do philosophy in college, <laughs> there were there was uh, there was. Some there were some questions about about my career choice, and th- did, did that happen? I mean, so were, you, were your parents baffled by what you were doing, or did they did they were they supportive or resistant when you said I'm gonna go to LA and now I think, try to make a career?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they were they were baffled at first by what exactly it is I was doing, but then they they came to a lot of shows early on, so at least they had an idea of um, of what comedy is, like improv and stand up, and then. Uh, they did keep pushing the idea of grad school like very hard uh, the whole time <laughs> where they were like, okay, this is great, but grad school, uh, and I was like, I don't even, what would I go to grad school for? And they were like, it doesn't matter. Just grad well, school. Just go, so, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that they were just used to like, that's how you do it because that was the model they were given. So I, I like I understood where it was coming from. but. They were never like, "Oh, don't do comedy or don't uh I think they were just concerned about the security element, and uh I think they thought l a was like very far away, which mm. it is but um but yeah i th- they were hesitant, but they were never like uh completely discouraging
1: but did they like your stand up to begin with? like so th- had they had they been to comedy before was yours like was yours the first stand-up they saw and they were like, This is
2: I
5: think is I what think I
2: took them to a show once when I was in college of this comedian I had seen on TV, and I think because they were on TV, they had a very like um less uh, I should say risque set. And then when I took them, he was like so filthy and I was just like, <laughs> Oh, this is I a see. nightmare. Um, <laughs> no. but uh but yeah, besides that, they hadn't seen much stand-up and so I, I think at first they just liked me because I was less vulgar than the other comedians. <laughs> uh, but I think they also just enjoy seeing other people watching me. Like my mom yeah. will often just give me reviews of like other people in the audience. Uh-huh. Like, Everyone else seemed to be having a great time. I see. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and then one time she was like, I almost understand all of your jokes. And my dad was like, oh, I'm not even close. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they still come. That's so yeah, nice. Yeah, no, they're, they're very sweet. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. So I, I have a couple more things to ask. But I was going to say, in, in a minute or two, mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. open things up to questions to the audience. But I want to give people, I, there's always the awkward silence. So I'm going to give you the next two or three minutes while, to, to think of questions while I, um, I'm going to ask you one more mm-hmm. question. which. Um, uh, and then you can respond with awkward silence. The question, okay. the question is: um, This is the 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 question is: Are, are there things that? Um, so probably a lot of people ask you about depression and comedy because that is a a, a thing that you're notable for. Are there questions that people don't ask you that you wish you would be asked?
2: Oh, I mm, I feel like people are generally pretty thorough like a lot of times I get asked (laughs) well you get asked about like your particular experience or like how you started or like any challenges you face so I don't know I guess maybe uh like something maybe not as related to comedy like what what are you reading what do you do when you're not you know being funny or uh yeah like stuff I think more outside the realm of just being a person, but it's like, then why would they interview you if you're just a random person? I don't so, know. So what are you reading? Oh, <laughs> I set myself up yeah, yeah, for that Yeah, there was one. no, it was inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I'm actually reading a book on philosophy, but i I have not I gotten very far. Um,
1: I sympathize. Yeah. Yeah. No, I
2: I think because I thought it would be more about philosophy itself, but it's more about the history of the existentialists.
1: Is this I, the, the existentialist yes, Cafe, the Sartre yes, book? Yes. Yeah. Um, but I'm
2: enjoying it. I'm just—it's taking me longer than I thought it would.
1: It's fun. I think her—I uh, don't know if you—her previous book, um, the one on Montaigne, is really, really great. It's about Montaigne and um, how to live, and I thought yeah, that was yeah. that was a really great sort of combination of biography and mm-hmm. philosophy. Um, uh, great. So I—I <laughs> I, uh, there's a book recommendation. Two book recommendations. Um, so you, you've had two minutes to think of questions. So I think the way, probably what people should do is if you have a question, just come to one of the mics and uh, uh, feel free to, to uh, come. I can see you're, you're about to do it, but it, even, though I, even <laughs> though I said to do it, you're not doing it. No, you can do it. Come to one of the mics. And then um, if you, uh, feel, feel free to, I will, I will indicate whether, which, which question uh, people should ask. And then you can uh,
6: um, go ahead. Me. Yeah, my name's Rom. Uh, I first heard of you because I, um, I, first of all, I live in D.C. Mm-hmm. I go to school there, and I oh, wanted cool. to know. Um, I first heard of you because I heard of Jacqueline Novak, and oh, I'm a cool. huge fan of her. And also, so I read her book, and I really identified with it a lot. And I led me to hearing your uh, your comedy. But I wanted to know um, if, for people who like live in D.C. and are interested in comedy and writing, like me. Um, what do you recommend uh, that I would do over the summer? Because it looks like I didn't get that Conan internship.
2: <laughs> oh well, their loss. Yeah. I uh, I I would say the DC scene right now is really good. So if you're interested in standup, I would definitely there's like good open mics and shows every night of the week. I'm not sure if there's like a definitive resource right now. There used to be a site that listed like all the open mics and shows uh, for DC, but uh, but definitely go out and watch shows, even even if you might not want to perform on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Washington Improv Theater has a lot of great long form improv, yeah. uh, and some there, so I think now they offer some classes on writing, like sketch writing mm-hmm. and late night show submissions. So I think any of those things would be good.
6: Okay, excellent. Um, and I have just one more question. About the uh, your anxiety and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, how did you know that you were funny and also that you get the confidence to <laughs> like, that people wanted to hear what you had to say and that like you could make a career out of it? Because that, I can't imagine me, people wanting to hear what I have to say and stuff.
2: Oh no, yeah, I mean there is, I think for every performer there's like a raging ego monster inside <laughs> of all of us, but I, I think for me, it was kind of strange, because I was very shy and introverted growing up. And I think to know you're funny, you need to have that audience yeah. feedback. So I actually dis- discovered it in kind of a weird way. I ran cross-country and track in high school. And we would go for long runs. And I would sort of make just like funny comments on things that <laughs> they would laugh at. And then I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I could do this okay. uh, <laughs> in a different environment. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think. <laughs> I don't know if that, that's helpful at all. Um, <laughs> I was like, join a girls' cross-country team. I, okay.
5: <laughs>
2: But, no, I think it is, you know, maybe if you're interested in writing, like mm-hmm. writing some short pieces and, and sending them to, to friends whose opinion you value mm-hmm. and, and seeing, seeing what that feedback is, um, it's usually best to start with your peers because I know a lot of comedians will get, like, emails from people asking for advice or like help but it's like very hard to do that just for for someone you don't know or yeah. like where you if you're just starting the most important thing is really just to try it and try lots of different things and see what you gravitate towards and also sometimes when you take classes you'll find people you really enjoy working with and and that's another way to like form those groups and that community okay thank you <laughs> of course
1: do you want to go ahead. Thank you.
6: Um, so you seem like you've been real busy recently. <laughs> I've seen you just on stuff little. like Debate Wars and hosting stuff at the U C B and working on your own stand up material. So just wondering what you would say has been your like most fun comedic experience in like the last year or so.
2: Um I it's hard for me to pick. I mean, I really enjoyed making the Womanhood Web series with Joe Firestone. That was a lot of fun. We just sort of messed around, and it was a very loose script. Uh, and also, I would say uh, that was the, the most fun, and then the most like sort of crazy was um, Tig Notaro is someone I've looked up to a long time, and she's been nice enough to let me open for her a bunch. And uh, she recently played Carnegie Hall last fall, and uh, I got to open for her, so that was pretty, pretty crazy, yeah.
1: Um, oh, say who you are before you just for the transcript mm-hmm. so we can. Try. I'm Rahul. Uh, I, uh, I'm the, the South Asian stereotype of finishing a PhD here and you uh-huh. know be going to grad school and things like that. But uh, so I, I just sort of randomly came across you as a retweet on Twitter or something, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. I started following you, and I really enjoyed your tweets because part of it was I liked that it wasn't very South Asian focused. It was, Very general, it was uh, about all sorts of issues, things like that. And I really enjoyed that. And one thing I was curious was, you know, as you were mentioning about doing comedy on Twitter or doing one-liners is very different than doing a stand-up set. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get this feedback in life that, oh, you're funny, you know, you you do one-liners, right? How do you go from that to, like, actually thinking that you can do, like, a stand-up, like, telling a story or doing that kind of comedy set?
2: Well, I mean, I think some stand-ups do, you know, like mainly trade in short jokes, like they do mainly one-liners. So I think that that's still an option. But uh, I think performing live for people is just such a different medium than writing jokes and and getting feedback that way. So I think really the only way to know is to try it. And I know now at least like a lot of. Clubs and stuff have classes where you can sort of dip your toe in the water and you know at least workshop Those first three or four minutes in a more supportive environment because open mics can be anywhere from like very supportive to like horrible and you're like this is just like a Existential bus station where we're all waiting for something good to happen (laughs) Uh, so I think you know best to start off in a more supportive environment, but Really, it is just you know getting on stage. Like, there's nothing that really simulates that better than just trying it. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um,
5: So I'm not gonna speak into the mic. That's okay. It's too tall for me. I'm just a kid.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs> me and my dad, who is Kieran Setia, we were. Um... Hi. Oh. <laughs> <hello>. <laughs> We were listening to your album a couple nights ago and we were really enjoying it and I wanted to ask you about a few things sure. that you brought up. One of the things was in one of your episodes where I think you were talking about um not your episode, your tracks, <laughs> where you were talking about um LA, you went to like this like class that kind of taught you about like the Hollywood movie industry mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And there was that time in it where like every where like everybody was going around and saying for each person what actor would most represent them. Right. And when they came to you, they gave you some really shockingly racist responses <laughs> yeah. that were really horrible. The most horrible one probably science. <laughs> yeah. What's your opinion on those kind of things? Is it more like neutral or like, not probably not neutral, neutral, but just like this is horrible? but I don't really want to be like super active or is it like I'm going to be active to stand up against these kind of things? Now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I th- it's funny because I feel like when you're in entertainment, there a lot of stuff like that happens where it's horrible and it makes you feel bad. But then a lot of good stuff happens, too. And I think you have to learn to sort of balance out the good with the bad. And uh, sometimes you just have to pick your battles in terms of what you want to be mad about. Uh, in, in that regard, because you do face so much rejection that it's like if you get so mad about every single one, you're just not gonna have energy left to create and, and sort of do your own thing. So sometimes it is easier to just keep your eyes on your paper and be like, these people might not get me, but I'm just gonna keep doing this thing that this person really likes. So mm-hmm. I think it, it is a lot of just sort of sticking to your inner gut. Yeah.
5: And also, I noticed that on another one of your tracks that I really liked, you were kind of talking about unfair women's fashion standards. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about how a lot of women are pressured into wearing like skimpy outfits and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how you don't like that kind of thing. Like I liked when you brought up the three piece. <laughs> that was a funny part. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just wondering, what's your opinion on that? Is it very strong, is it like?
2: It's kind of, I think that, especially stuff around, um, you know, my experience in being a woman, a lot of it is just my own body insecurity and like uh, shyness around other people. So I definitely have my opinions on what I uh, think is, Acceptable, but a lot of it is just in relation to me. Like I, I wouldn't speak for all women of like, oh, no one should wear this outfit. But I'm more like I would prefer to wear, you know, like a full-length coat everywhere.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you.
7: Hi, I'm Brad. I'm a, I'm a philosopher like Kieran. Oh, cool. Um, so. It, as, when I think about doing philosophy, of course, I draw a lot of inspiration from how other philosophers do philosophy.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: But more recently, I've gotten a lot of inspiration from areas completely outside of philosophy. Like I'll be reading some novelists, and I'll come across some passage of like, oh, if I were writing, if I could use these kinds of techniques in my philosophy writing, that might make it better philosophy. So I was wondering if you have any, you've talked about, the role other comics play in informing how you do comedy—is mm-hmm. there any way in which other art forms, uh, either like acting you see in like movies or things you read, informs like yeah. how you do comedy?
2: I mean, I really enjoy—I um, really enjoy reading and the written word. I feel like I, I've always been a big reader. Um, I, I love movies. Now it's a little strange because it's like. Movies are a little bit more tied to what I do, and I'll see like people I know in them, and it sort of separates that element of distance. But uh, but I still love watching films. And uh, what else? I think music is big. I feel like music um, uh, music sort of hits you on a visceral level in a way that comedy doesn't. Like comedy, you sort of have to filter through the language element a lot of times, unless it's just like pure slapstick. Uh, so I think there's an appreciation for music by a lot of comedians uh, for that, and I also really like like animation and um, like stop motion and like claymation stuff. Like I just like like whimsical stuff. I think really uh, scratches my itch of what I like to watch. Yeah.
7: I don't know if you can answer this, but is there anything specific you could say like, oh, this piece of music made me think about doing oh, it this way hmm. you know,
2: I, I think I'm bad in that I, like, I'll i listen to something a lot, or, and then I'll just go to the next thing. Like, I, I feel like I'm not good at having that one thing that I love uh, forever. But I will say, I, I just watched this short um, by this animator named Kirsten Lepore <laughs> called High Stranger. You should definitely watch it. It's creepy, but it's also funny, and uh, the intersection of the two is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: We have time for more questions, but while people are thinking about questions, i was going to have a follow-up, which is, do you you think about writing novels? Or like, have you thought about, is that something you you have the ambition to do, is sort of spread out from stand-up into other media yourself, or to act in films? Is that... Yeah,
2: I mean, I think um, the nice thing, comedy sort of opens the doors to a lot of writing and acting possibilities. I've enjoyed, I've (sighs) gotten to write for shows, and I've gotten to act a little bit more. And I definitely enjoy all of it. I think I'm again bad at setting goals, so I'm just like, <laughs> if someone offers me a thing, I'll do it. But uh, I, I think I would enjoy maybe you know voicing like a character in an animated thing and uh, writing it. Uh, yeah. So I think uh, you know smaller goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead.
3: Hi, so I'm Vicki. I'm a grad student in comparative media studies here, so I'm yeah. going to ask you a few media-related sure, questions. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm really interested in your perspective as a main Twitter influencer mm-hmm. and how you would view the different types of social media and the different ways you can tell a comedy narrative through them. And so maybe, like, how is Facebook or YouTube or Snapchat, yeah. all different. And what trends do you see coming up within the co- the comedy field and embracing or pushing away from some of those changes in social media?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think right now social media is really big in the entertainment industry in terms of, like, uh, I think executives are trying to see how to translate people's social media popularity into, like, other projects for them to get audiences and, and money too. So I think... Twitter, for me, I just gravitated toward naturally as a medium. I'm lucky in that it's around, it's been around for a long time and is like still pretty popular. Probably helped by the fact that um, certain people are really into it. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, there are other ones, like Vine was huge when it. When it really popped and now it's gone. So I think people also acknowledge that some social media is like follows an arc and then it sort of dies out. But I think um, having some kind of social media presence feels pretty crucial for comedians these days. And there are some who don't, but I think they were lucky enough in that they built an audience before and have an audience now. But like if you're just starting now, it's a lot harder to build a following without. Being on the internet at all. Um, Right now, I think uh, everyone's really into Snapchat. I don't have a Snapchat account. I don't know if that's hurting me, but I, you know, maybe I'll see if it's around in a year, and then I'll begrudgingly start an account. But yeah, I think the big thing is just like finding the mediums that you feel like you can be yourself in. Because I, you know, some people have YouTube videos they put up every day, and I that's just not something that. I find comes naturally to me. So I think it's finding what works for you and what sort of pushes your voice forward and doesn't feel like you're just trying to shoehorn into the latest trend. Hi. Hello. I'm
3: Jennifer. I'm um, from the general public.
2: Oh, <laughs> great, great group um, to be in.
3: To piggyback onto that, how much, because uh, you've actually responded to me on Twitter, which was great, uh-huh. after I saw one of your shows, and um, and I'm like, wow, you spend a lot of time responding to people on Twitter. <laughs> so how do you manage that in your day-to-day life? Like, do you, are, do you have certain, like, do you structure it, or are you just like, I'm in line getting my coffee, I'm going to?
2: Yeah, I, w- I wish I was more disciplined about it, but I, it's sort of, at, it's a, whenever I'm checking my phone, and I've tried to be a little bit more, discerning about not being on my phone all the time but I don't think I'm very good at it and I think I might have to like start implementing like hours where I'm just not online uh, but now now it feels really hard with like the news and stuff because you just want to keep refreshing it and then it it feels more critical like it feels less shallow to be like oh I just need to know what's happening in the world than to be like I need to respond to this fan or whatever it is yeah it
3: feels more crucial yes to respond yes
2: and then I have another question
3: about, about your um writing when you're writing mm-hmm. um do you, when you're writing because you're very deadpan and I'm wondering if you're like that in your mind or are you like giggling oh. when you like <laughs> when you have like a you know you know what I'm saying you're like oh there's something here like are you are you laughing in your mind
2: I will I will like very occasionally, like, write something that I'm very pleased with, or I'm just, like oh, <laughs> this is part. very smart. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, it, it'll just be like a thing in my mind where I'm like, oh, it'd be funny if I, if I said it this way. But I won't, um, I won't as like, as you go. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I won't be generous and give myself the laugh. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm Jean. I teach music here at oh, MIT. Cool. And uh, I was curious about, um, you know, what, what you've learned with improv and your comedy and how that relates to how you communicate in your, uh, you know, in your everyday life with people. You know, I'm curious about my students and also with my, uh, you know, my fiancé and my, you know, mm-hmm. my kids and my family. How has your improv affected those well, communications?
2: I mean, I'm someone who's like pretty rigid and like like to maintain control. So I, a lot of the reason I took improv classes to start with was sort of to find ways to break out of that more. I think improv is really good about being okay with being in the moment and not necessarily knowing what's going to come out of your mouth and knowing what you're going to say. But it's also very good. I think it teaches you to listen to people better because like when you're on you know, when you're improvising with other people, like really you're piggybacking off of whatever they did and if you didn't listen, you're sort of denying that possibility. So I think it also just makes you sort of relate work better in groups because you're used to that give and take. Whereas stand up is a little bit more selfish in that you are the only one with the microphone and uh, you're you know, you're fully in control of what you want to do. But uh, but improv, I think I don't know. It's, it feels like a very useful um, medium for just teaching people how to relate to each other better. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Hello, Mark, <laughs> uh, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm I'm funny with my patients and a lot of people, <laughs> but I, o- I also don't know a lot of times where it comes from. A lot of times it's in the interaction, but I can't imagine sitting down yet. This is something I would like to do. I'd like to sit down and write comedy. But I think I I would get stuck. So do you like say, OK, I'm going to try to be funny now? Or (laughs) how do you go about that process of approaching that?
2: Yeah, Yeah. comedy is interesting because I feel like if you, I guess it's kind of like, anything where if you think about it too hard it starts to sort of disintegrate like it, it there's a part of it to me that feels intuitive and there are people who sort of dissect comedy and analyze why exactly this part made people laugh but i feel like a lot of comedians don't think of it in that way it's more just like instinctual of like oh it would be funny if i did this or like my tendency here would be to you know make this offhanded remark about this other thing like I think it, it often just feels like a like a dance or something where you know when you made the right step and you know when you like misstepped, like, but it feels harder to, at least for me, to to be like, okay, now is time to put the joke hat on. Yeah. So do, you,
4: do you take another question? Do you take like, do you like watch yourself like or, or say, okay, why was that funny, or like or take almost take notes on. When you're when you're like uh, spontaneous, or or
1: well,
2: sometimes you'll, oftentimes you'll record sets because you might discover something in the moment that you didn't know was there, and then you'll re-listen and be like, oh, I see this actually connects better here. But a lot of that stuff is like, you know, it's not uh, premeditated; like it sort of just happens organically by virtue of the fact that you've done the joke a million times and. You finally like found this new angle or direction to go in, but uh, but yeah, it's harder. It's harder to I guess um, control spontaneity, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I find that uh, in banter, I'm funnier than when right. I when I if I make an effort, it just go it can go flat. But in banter interaction, things come out that surprise me. Is that well?
2: I think that that's part of it is because a lot of people uh, that are, uh, I think sometimes their friends are like, this person is so funny, they got to do stand up, and then they do it, and it doesn't go well. Like I think part of that is from the fact that like when you're with your friends, you're very comfortable and you're in your element, and stand up is like a lot. It's not that at all. It's like you are having a one-sided conversation with like a group of people who have a certain expectation of what you're going to do so i think it in that sense it's not at all like the same as sort of joking around with your friends or like banter where that sort of judging element isn't there uh and you feel like completely relaxed, but I think the best comedians, they sort of make you feel like you're just hanging out with them as a friend, and they're completely relaxed. Like I think that's where a lot of comedians want to end up, in, like in their stage persona.
3: Hi, I'm Mara. I teach literature here at MIT, um, and I wanted to ask you about something you said when you were saying that sometimes you talk with other comedians about um, mm-hmm. weird things that happen with the audience. So I yeah. was wondering, like, what is the weirdest or the funniest or the scariest thing that ever happened to you in front of a crowd?
2: Oh man, I I feel lucky in that nothing super horrible has happened to me. I. Um, I've had friends where it's like they some they had some heckler, like I had a friend where like a heckler, they like brought them on stage because they were being so disruptive and then like cocaine fell out of their pocket. Like just like <laughs> stuff where you're just like, what is happening? Like another friend I had did a show where cops came in in the middle and arrested someone in the audience. <laughs> like it's just like, you just don't know what's gonna happen um, sometimes. But, uh, But yeah, I think the one of the crazier things uh, is I host a show in New York that's like a free Monday night show, and you know we get a lot of like famous drop-ins. Like it's been a very long-running show, and one time Chris Rock dropped in, and there was like I guess he was unannounced, so I introduced him, and he went on stage, and then someone in the audience was I guess like holding up their phone to like tape him, and they have a very strict like no no recording or. Photography policy, and he saw it, and he was just like, "Oh, you got to stop that." And then I guess the guy tried to do it again, and then he was just like, "Oh, to hell with this," you know. And then he just like walked off stage, like he hadn't even told one joke. Uh, he had maybe gotten out like two lines. He just like left the stage, left the building, went back to his Chris Rock life, and uh, <laughs> and then I had to, I was hosting, so I had to go back up and be like, uh, "Well." (Laughter) um, Because he was like second, so we still had like the whole show ahead of us. So I sort of had to do that like tonal shift of like, well, that was horrible. (laughs) um, But we can still have a good show and have a good night. And, um, you know, that guy felt terrible for him because I think I'm sure he didn't have bad intentions. But he like very quickly got himself out of the room uh, because I think people would have been like, he's still here. But um, but yeah, for the most part, it's like. Anytime something happens that affects the whole room, like you have to address it in some way, yeah.
6: Hi, Rob. Again, um, I was wondering about uh, you said young comedians they need to have an, uh, an an internet presence, and I keep my Twitter private because I find it I don't want people seeing it other than my friends. But um, I was wondering, uh, is there ever a worry that you're just throwing a joke out there that you could maybe have? used in a stand-up, but if you had just maybe worked through it a little bit more and you're basically, do you ever feel like it's like a waste to tweet something?
2: No, I mean, I used to feel like sometimes people don't like Twitter because they feel like they're just giving out content for free. Yeah. And I, I guess I understand that perspective for sure. But I think I tweet so much and like sort of cycle through so many ideas that I don't really worry so much that it's like, oh, someone might have read this line or something. because. When it eventually works its way into a joke, like there's always going to be an element to it that's different just because it's not being read, it's being performed. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I've learned to stop being like overly precious about being like, no one can see this until yeah. it's yeah ready. Kay. Yeah.
6: Thanks.
1: We have time for maybe one or two more questions, if people have them. I'm going to pause. Pause. Yes. Oh. OK.
5: Hi, I'm Lindsay. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, I have three really simple questions. Mm -hmm. Um, One is, as a comedian, what does successful mean to you? Um, And then secondly is, have you ever did anything that you really regretted? (laughs) Um, And then third question is, um, what would you tell the younger self?
2: What was the last one? Uh, What would you tell the younger self? Oh, got it. Okay, first question, I already forgot. Success. (laughs)
1: Success. What is success? What
2: is success? Um, I think success is very simple. I think when I started, it was just to be able to do comedy full time and support myself. And I am lucky enough to be at that place now, so I need new goals. But I do feel lucky in that I get to do what I enjoy for a living. Um, But yeah, I guess success would just be to continue to push myself creatively and, and, and make work that I'm proud of. Uh, and then have I ever done anything I'm ashamed of? I'm, I think I know I made jokes like when I first started that now I would be like I wouldn't joke about that like uh, you know like some um, I can't think of one off the top of my head but there's definitely things that I'm I sort of like now that I think about it I'm like, oh, that doesn't like sit as well with me now as as it as it did back then like because I feel like when you're starting you're sort of like if you get an easy laugh you you're like okay, I'm gonna keep going down this path but like I did stuff about like being Indian and sort of joking about having brown skin and how that can translate to so many different things and now I'm like eh, I probably wouldn't tell that joke. So I think you have a little bit more of a conscience about what you want to say. Uh and then lastly, I what would I tell my younger self? I I think I would say um that's a good question. I guess I would say it's all gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and that is the perfect note on which to on which to end. Th- thank you so much oh, for no, coming. Thank you. Thank,
2: thank you. you. Thank you for the great question.